there's moments where I just felt like I had to dial dial my personality down to fit in and just like kind of just kind of go on like just just be less. Welcome to Unspoken Bravery. I'm your host, Erin Milzinski, a multiple time Olympian. Skiing started as my first love and quickly became my greatest teacher. This podcast is meant to take a deep dive behind the capes of our everyday superheroes and find out what's under the brave spirits, the fearless feats, and the nerves of steel. It's normal to feel fear. Hardships lurk around every corner. And yet these roadblocks can be met with a challenger's mindset and turned into wonderful gifts. It's time to celebrate imperfections, to build bravery from setbacks, and to take our goals to the next level. So let's dive right in. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. Today, I am so excited to sit down and talk to my friend and the teammate who has been there with me through it all, for the longest time through the ups and the downs, Marie-Michelle Gagnon, or Mitch to most of us. Mitch is from La Quetchemin, Quebec. She is arguably one of, if not the best, all-around female skiers that Canada has ever seen. Her World Cup debut was in 2008, and since then, she's raced in over 250 World Cups. She stood on the podium five times in three different events, which is crazy, and she's represented Canada at three Olympic Games. She missed Pyeongchang, which would be her fourth due to injury. On that note, she's suffered from a broken leg, torn ACL, torn shoulder two times, broken hand, among other injuries. She's a testament to hard work, grit, and determination. Her resilience is unmatched. And she's truly a racehorse. Sometimes I wonder if she even feels pain. And beyond that, she's the best teammate. I'm so lucky to have grown up with her. She's made me who I am and a hard worker that doesn't even question motivation. So I hope you enjoy what we define as our pillow talk. And without further ado, welcome to Unspoken Bravery, Mitch. Okay, welcome to Unspoken Bravery, Mitch. Mitchells, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be on this with you, Erin. Me too. Me too. You're my longest time. I think you're the person who's been there with me through the most, like with for everything. Me and Jay, Jay Kenny are very, very well-known ski coach. I've been around for a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah, He's the longest one on the team. I feel like now. Okay. So Mitch does this thing at dinner table and she gets a lot of pushback for it, but we're going to do it today because this is your thing. But Mitch always asks us a rose and a thorn of our day. So Mitch, what was your rose and thorn of your day? Well, the day is just beginning. Um, but you know, okay. My rose is, I was at the field this morning doing a workout and it was just sunny and beautiful. And it was this nice turf workout and I did it barefoot. Um, so I, I did that and I, I had a really good time and I was working out by myself, which is not so common because normally I'm with Travis or with my teammates and it was kind of nice to just go at my own pace and yeah, loved it. Uh, so Warren, there's definitely, I I'm right now in, in Southern California just for, to visit a friend and there's a little bit more traffic than I'm used to. So I'm, I just like want to get going and I, I'm not used to driving places. Normally I'm 
with my bike or like just not in my car very much. So I just have to get used to that. <laughs> How about you, Arnold? Okay. Um, Rose, we just painted our bus and did a grand reveal. So we woke up really excited this morning. I don't know if I have a thorn. Thorn, the mosquitoes are out. It's oh, the bugs yeah. are out. <laughs> yeah, bugs are right. <laughs> and you're by a lake too, right? Like where you live, it's by the lake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're hatching, but they don't bother me as much as others. So I guess I'm lucky. It's still a rose. Not really, but um, okay. So I usually ask this question at the end. And I have a few ice breaking questions for you, I guess, but I'm going to ask you at the beginning, because I feel like I know so much about you and I was going to ask you to summarize your career, but I think I just want to kind of get into it. What is bravery to you? Like, what do you think it means personally? Yeah, I, um, I think, you know, I was thinking about that because I know that's the title of your podcast and it's, it's, it is a, a broad topic and I guess how I've seen or how I've yeah seen bravery for me was, um, you know, turning most situations into something positive and th- that you can learn something from pretty much any situations, whether they're good yeah. or bad. You're laughing because you're like, perfect. That's what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> yes. But also that I'm like, you do this, like you are so good at doing this. So it's so cool mm-hmm. because I think it's brave, but it's a huge reason why you're brave. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I, definitely can thank my mom and dad for, for that, because that came from them for sure. Like that's how I grew up. Um, other ways that brave to be brave, um, staying your course, despite other people, you know, planning doubts in yourself. Uh, not everybody is going to always support you hundred percent. Uh, that's just how it is in life and sort of just staying your course and, and like knowing that it's like a long term, especially when it comes down to skiing, but it can apply to life as well. I guess like other ways that like, like achieving something that, that felt like hugely uncomfortable. So for example, you know, like, okay, I'm going to hit that jump at 140 kilometers per hour and I'm going to go 50 meters. That's bravery in a way, uh, in many ways. And then it can apply to public speaking. Like people, they're just not comfortable with public speaking, but they do it. So that is brave. Uh, There's so many, I guess like, I can go down to also like forgiveness, like forgiving someone for something they did, whether that's coaches, teammates, but also in life in general, that, that is brave to forgive people and to just kind of get past it and just, you know, be professional in, in a career situation and then be loving in the, in the life situation. And it's also brave to be accountable for yeah. things that you do wrong. That's, it's not easy to just like realize, okay, I messed up here. And I have to apologize. You have to be brave for that. So I, like, that's kind of like what I sum it up, sum it up as, but there's so many other ways. Like, I mean, I'm sure you've talked about what it is for you, but is there anything else that comes up? Like when I talk about that? Well, I got the shivers. I get the shivers really often. It's kind of like I get goosebumps and I got it a few times when you were speaking and for sure when you were speaking about, and I've kind of gone through this now that I'm in a transition period And I've kind of gone through this that, you know, is happiness the situation that you're in? You know, um, if someone is a newlywed or if someone gets that job promotion they want, or if you finally win that race, is that what happiness is? Or is happiness that time in your life that you really wanted your whole life and you reached the goal? But I think that what you are saying and what I've seen in you for so many years is that you find happiness 
regardless of the situation, it's not situational happiness. It's like you find a reason to be happy regardless of anything that you find yourself in, whether you, you know, you've had your fair share of injuries at like not opportune times, not that there is ever a great time, but just before an Olympics, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. you're still there. You're still happy. I'm sure you're still sad and struggling, but you're still happy. And you still, um, kind of exude this love of life, which I think that, you know, so many things you've done are incredibly brave, um, and incredibly hard transitions and changes in your life. But I think no matter what I think is what you pinpointed that really stands apart is that no matter what happens, you find that happiness. And I think that stood out and also accountability because you and I have been on this team. I mean, I'm no longer on it, but you and I have been on this team a long time and we've seen people that are so accountable for everything. And we've seen people that aren't. And I would say when I got on the team, I, I didn't even really understand what accountability is. And kind of when we were young, we had to learn, you know, how to take that criticism and also how to just before even someone criticizes, say, Hey, I was wrong. I was wrong to ask that I was wrong to do that. And I think that that's such a beautiful way that we've grown together through bravery. Mm -hmm. And so I think you kind of, some people answer it in, in one way. And I think yours is so cool because it kind of relates to so many different people. And I guess that's, I think one time that I found that you were really brave, I'll ask you other questions about it after, but one time that I thought you were really brave for various reasons is that you are an all around skier. You have podiums in three different events. You tell me if I'm like wrong also, but I've been there for a lot of them. I think I remember some of your podiums more than my own, but you have been top 15 in, I think every event you've just been also including team event. Um, and you're just this amazing all around skier. And I think what was brave, but also what people ask a lot and that they don't fully understand is your speed from being an all around. And I don't want to say a tech skier because you've always been an all around skier. In my eyes, you've been good at everything, Mm -hmm. but the switch from kind of that all around skier to speed. And can you walk us through that a little bit, your thought process, and also like what you would say to those people that are naysayers that haven't been kind of really nice about that? Yeah. It, to me, it was always clear what I had to do. And that's why it was, you know, it, it was difficult in a way, but at the same time, it wasn't because I knew this was the path that I needed to go on. I mean, be, before, like if I fast or backward, like or rewind, yeah, rewind uh, a while back, like the beginning of the, on the ski team, I actually made the ski team with my results in Super G. Downhill wasn't quite like a discipline that you really focused on at that age but I was definitely more inclined towards the speed. Like it was something that really came naturally to me and like uh, that I thrived on the most. But when I was about 18, I broke my leg uh, at the glacier in Farnham and had to be helicoptered out. And it was kind of sketch, you know, uh, but actually, you know, the, the whole rehab went well and I came back, you know, a handful of months later uh, with the ski team and they kind of directed me more towards the tech team uh the the women's speed team was not dying out but like it, it was starting to like those girls that were super like good emily bryden uh Brigenic, they're uh, kelly vanderbeek they're super strong but they're getting at the end of their career 
And also coming back from a big injury like that, they don't want to push you into the speed side. They want to make sure that you get the technical basis. And we had a very strong tech, te tech team at the time. So it just made sense all around. So kind of went with that. And there's zero regrets at all. Like I think it was so amazing to have experienced all the disciplines on the World Cup. And, and really like, you know, with a strong focus on sort of like everything at one point or another. Um, and then when uh, it was the prep year for Pyeongchang, then uh, I was preparing for the, the combine was a very good event for me for medal contention. So instead of just, you know, having strong bases in slalom and just getting the speed training a little bit before the Olympics, like we decided to actually do some speed training in the summer. And I started getting back into it. And I just, this love for, for speed and like for skiing, like, like it just, overflowed me and I, I knew this was like the direction I had to go and also it came more naturally it was very like I could be with the top skiers um within a few weeks of doing that whereas in Slalom I felt like I had this weight on my shoulders of past results and I just felt like okay I need to like really continue improving and it, it just like I, had, I felt the weight on me uh, on the Slalom side yeah you know, maybe more the tech side. So when I went, I switched to speed, it was just like a freedom, you know, and, and, and I had everything to learn all the, the hills I had been on some of them, but not, not really with like having had much training. I was using the world cup races as training in the past. And so I knew this was going to be like a long-term project, which is like, you, you need that mindset in, in a situation like this, because they say to, to form a really good, podium contendent skier and speed it takes about four years so for me those that was like really clear in my head okay like four years like I I missed Pyeongchang because I got hurt at a downhill race in Lake Louise and then when I came back I said okay four years and on top of that I was coming back from an injury which definitely makes it a little bit not longer but a little bit more tricky for sure to uh the, the mental side like I guess I had yeah. been injured in the past and like now I'm kind of falling into another tangent of the injuries but like it, it did take a lot more time mentally to to want to take risk in downhill and the speed disciplines than in the past yeah, I can't even when imagine. I had yeah it I mean I was I, I didn't know right so my only experience with getting hurt was when I broke my leg and I came back more on fire because I had this like motivation and just wanted to go so hard and had great results so I kind of like expected sort of the same in a way which is kind of silly but yeah so yeah that's kind of like why I went into speed and yeah I, it's been it's been a wonderful journey that really finally paid off and it, it's it's currently paying off so I'm like really enjoying it yeah, and it's really cool too because I think people put us in these I mean I stayed there so maybe I can't speak but put us in these boxes like tech skier or slalom skier or whatever it is speed skier but it's really cool because racing is more than that. And it always bothered me that I was kind of a single event skier, but for you, it's really cool that you experienced so many different sides of skiing. You know, you experienced switching brands, you experienced switching from tech, not just tech, but all around to speed, which is again, a huge learning curve and takes bravery because like you said, you have to be invested four more years where, you know, that's how long it takes before you are at kind of that podium potential. You did it in less um, with an injury, which is so impressive, but I think that that's, it kind of makes sense as you say it as well, because before you were injured, I remember 
the first time with your leg. I remember watching you race super G at Pano. Actually, I remember you at the start because I was at the start and you had an earlier number than me and you were just lying down. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to be like this girl. And you just would lie down in the start and then you would go and slay and you were so fast, but it wasn't super G. And I've never really thought of that. So I'm glad I asked you that personally as well, because I've never really thought about, you know, I think people saw text gear because of your podiums and slalom and how good you were at GS all the way through, but really you were such a fast speed skier before world cup. And I guess, I guess, what do you find? Because the last couple of years, you've kind of been on a team alone, not from your own doing, but just the situation it is. Um, Mm -hmm. and before that, not because we're all a big team, but you travel alone when you're on speed, if you're only racing speed, but Mm -hmm. before that we were on a team with so many people and you would kind of go between tech and speed, but we kind of head a speed team and had a text team. So you would have, you would go between both, but what do you think that the biggest differences are and pros and cons of both, I guess? Yeah. So like for speed, for example, what I found was different was different is so the vibe, like when you come in a start of a tech race, it's so intense, you know, that you can sense the intensity and, and it's, it's wonderful. It's a really cool feeling to like be, a, be surrounded by that. And on the speed side, it's much more relaxed. So it depends, you know, sort of like where your head's at and like what you're seeking for in a way. But that's like, that's just the tangible like energy that, that you can feel that's different. And, and that what, why it's different is because, I mean, in tech, you don't really train with other teams that often. Yeah, you that's do, true. But you don't at the same time. And, you know, with downhill, uh, we have two to three training runs before. So we see each other on a much lower intensity uh, situation. So we get to know the other athletes without just being like there for races all the time. Cause normally on the tech side, you see the, the other racers and it's like on and it's long days on the tech side. Like it's two runs. It's a long day. The speed is just one run. You know, you, you do it and then you're done and you kind of like, whoo, I just like, we all get in the finish. We kind of like, cool. Like we survived that. Cause it, yeah. it is like, it's not like it, you're thinking of your death or anything like that, but it's like, it is risky so like you get at the bottom. Build. yeah so you kind of bond on that like whether of course like there's times where the result really you know sucks you down in a way but like you're kind of like whoa like that was still really sick that was so fun so that was a little bit like the difference though you can really connect with other athletes on all disciplines I just thought speed was a bit more conductive for that um That's also cool. because yeah um, just cause we were like staying mi- more days in one place. Also, like we, you get settled, you're there for like five days. Whereas with tech, you're there somewhere for two days and then you move and then two days and then you move. So that was, that was a little bit different. Um, also like on the tech side, like you're mentioning, we had a huge team always. That was always like sort of the, like in my years, because I know in the, and in, in your years as well. I know that our, the years before us, the speed girls had a really big group and it looked like it was quite a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, there's this like strong sense of community of like when you're surrounded by people and also takes away some of the individual pressure that comes with, okay, I have to do well so this team can be happy. Like that yeah. means like with the coaches and the staff. And I found a few times, like I felt really like bad if I had a, series of bad races or a DNF or something like that. Cause like, it really 
could sense that the staff, you know, like it's tough for them. Like they put their heart for it. And I really respect the work that they do. Uh, It's a lot of work. And, and of course it's difficult if you have one athlete, because then it's like, well, better do well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's so interesting too, because, okay. Everyone has to keep in mind that these are usually conversations Mitch and I have like in European beds, side to side, actually not to side, mm-hmm. they're attached. We have separate duvets. Yeah. Once the lights go mm-hmm. out and you can't hear people. But that's so interesting because throughout my career, I felt the same thing. You know, I, of course, I wanted to do well for myself, for sure. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted to do well for the people that believed in me, my sponsors, not just because they gave me, you know, sponsored me and I need to look good, but because they believed in me and those coaches, because I respect them. They respect me. I want to do well to show how great of coaches they are. But people always said, you know, race for you. Don't even think about other people. Do you think that that's even possible just to race for you? I mean, yeah, I would say it's not often. Like I would say it fluctuates. And I think you would agree with that where there's moments that you're just like, you know, today you just feel good and you know, that you don't have any of this concerns about other people. You're just there for you. And you're so confident that you're, you know, pretty much just thinking of you and like what you're doing. There are the other days where there's extra external pressure more than others, especially like big events. You know, it's, it's just naturally like that. There's more media, there's more presence, there's more hype. Um, so there, there were, there were many days though in my career where I was like, wow, like it just felt so like, like for me, this moment, I don't know. Did you feel that way too? I think, I think I was never able to detach. I think I always felt like I was skiing for myself, of course, but for other people, like even in the start gate, sometimes I'd look out at how beautiful it it was where I was and think, you know, this run is for my grandpa, you know, who's at home, Mm -hmm. which maybe that causes more pressure because you get to the bottom and I'm like, well, that was a crap run. I just did for my grandpa. But at the same point, I don't think he cares. He just would love to be a part of that moment. But I think Mm -hmm. you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, it's hard to separate the two, you know, especially when you're kind of like us. But I think the difference is that some races, you just don't think about it. Like it might still be there. And of course you want to call those people as soon as the race is over and like scream, like we did it. Not like I did it. Like we did this, we did this amazing Mm -hmm. thing together, but it's not like you're focusing on it all day. It's just there in the back of your mind that you have these amazing people uplifting you. And I think where it maybe becomes an issue is when you're standing in the start being like, I have to do this because of those people. Um, Mm -hmm. I think maybe for me, it was always there, but you're right. Sometimes I would stand in the start and it would be kind of more of an uplifting thing than a pressure filled thing for various reasons, um, depending mm-hmm. on, you know, my state of mind and how I was skiing. But also sometimes, as you said, sometimes people can say things or media can be there or the hype of the venue. But I agree. I think maybe it's always there. It's just, are you able to deal with it being there? And that's not the focus. The focus is where it needs to be that day and you perform anyways. Mm-hmm. And in training, like, I mean, you and I both could get there a lot, like almost all the time where you just like ski for yourself and to better your technique and to be fast that day. And and like, we were able to really push each other. And that's like, I know I reflect upon this and I know I was so thankful to have you all these years. Like we were 
each other's greatest competitor. If I'm, if I'm not wrong, like this is sort of like how it was like, and it built us up. Like I kind of, I kind of see it as like Lindsay Vaughn and Julian Mancuso who kind of came up on the team at the same time. And they were just like, they built up to this like great, amazing wins. And we did that at a young age. We got, we got on the world cup podium, uh, back to back, like right after each other. How because cool is we that? Just, that cool. is so cool. <laughs> I really wish we could have gone on the podium together. Uh, that was like, yeah, that was like one thing that I really would have liked But you know, we, we still did all that together. So that was like, I'm super thankful to have had you pushing me every day. There was not one day where I can show up in training and kind of like half-ass it because I'm going to be a second behind. Like I have to be on and that like really pushed me and I, I'm assuming it was the same for you. So that was really cool. Yeah. And I agree. I was thinking about that too, because I was like, okay, girls in sport were basically the same age. We were, you did more events than I did, but we were completely direct competitors, you know, had the same technician. And, you know, when I first made the team, I was like, okay, Mitch is scary. Like, I don't know what to do. This is, you know, you just meet someone and you don't know what to expect. And then I think that one time I talked to our coach at the time and he said, oh yeah, I always put you and Mitch in a room to force you to be friends, which is risky. Cause what if we like hated each other, but we <laughs> used to joke like, Oh, Mitch is my boyfriend on the road. Or like we told each other everything and in, in the rooms. And, and obviously that changed as, as I stayed doing only slalom and you did everything. But I think that it's interesting because I was thinking of jealousy and jealousy between girls and things. And I was thinking about you and I was like, but what was cool in the gym? Cause we were always in the gym together too. And on the snow is that I'd see you lift a heavier weight. And I was like, okay, Mitch can do it. I can do it. It wasn't like, oh, Mitch can do it. This day sucks. I suck. It was like, oh, Mitch mm-hmm. can do it. I can do it. And I think you'd get under, out from under the squat rack and be like, Aaron, I just did it. That means you can do it. And then we would keep upping the weight like that. And it was just such a beautiful like for sure we were competitive. You can't say it wasn't a competition, but it was like very, mm-hmm. and I don't want to say it was professional. It was just like very friendly. And it was the same in slalom. Like, you're right. If I, if I showed up in a day and I did my first run kind of just going with the flow, you crushed me. And so I was like, okay, the next run, I have to give it my all because Mitch is going to crush me. And it wasn't, I never was mad at you for doing that. It was like, you were a great competitor there. And I think that Mm -hmm. that is such a beautiful thing that, but I think that for sure we can thank our personalities or our families or whatever, but I think we can also thank the coaches that were there at the time. Cause only time I can remember feeling jealous or anything of you is if it was like manifested from a coach, like put into my head about, Oh, Mitch can do that. Why aren't you doing that? And that's the only time that I've been like, felt a weird feeling when it was manifested from someone else, because what we developed that competitiveness, I think you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think it's what made us great. Like I podiumed and mm-hmm. I, I think you won this. No, you, round. you won. You didn't I won. Win, you won. <laughs> I won. And you were fourth that day or fifth. Like, it's not yeah, like you fifth. had a, yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. close for book, which how cool would that be if you were third, but, um, the next race, like very next race, you were on the podium. And I think I remember doing media with you and it was like, no, this just shows me that I'm able to do it. It wasn't like you standing off the podium being like, I'm jealous that Aaron got there first. It was like, that proves to me I'm also there. And then you, you Mm -hmm. did it. And I think that again, I got like goosebumps or shivers because I think that that's what was so special about 
growing up racing with you. And that's why I became kind of who I am, like, period. Mm-hmm. I think like one of the, the ways that I see it is I, I would describe this as like uplifting, healthy competition. Yeah. Because none of us were ever trying to make excuses when the other one was faster. It was just like, oh, God, I got to do more. I know I can do more. And I, we've had the same training program. We've, you've done like, we've done all the work, both of us. So there's no reasons why I can't do this. Like, there's no reasons. like maybe my, like you can look at the equipment here and there, like, okay, my edges need to be sharpened, but usually we have the same tech and they yeah. are the same. So I think that that was like why it was so healthy. I think people sometimes get competitive and then they, instead of like, being like, okay, I can do it and just take it as a challenge. They kind of take it as like, oh, like, let, me fi- let me find an excuse. Let me find the reason why this person's faster. So I think that's why it was so healthy because like we constantly pushed each other and got to, to that level. So, so that was really special. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was so special. And then I guess what goes hand in hand, and maybe this is where I'm going to ask you to tell your your story that had me giggling last night as I was making pizza, but you've always been really motivated, really incredibly motivated. And okay, let's just ice break this moment. And maybe you can tell the story of like one of the first stories that you ever told me, you know, which one. It um, is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess it's a good testament to what, what I'll do to just, to just go and like, you know, I, I don't give a crap about what people think. And I was just like, okay, I'll do it. So uh, I was about maybe, I would say 12 years old or maybe 11. I don't know. And I was, I was competing on the circuit, which is south of Quebec city, which is a bunch of small ski areas, like small Rignal, that's where I'm from. Massive Sud, La Côte des Chats, these tiny little ski areas or not so well known. And I was doing quite well there. So my parents decided that, okay, we're going to go to Quebec City, like the, the big city where they have Sonam and Mont Saint-Anne and Le Relais, which are much bigger ski clubs. So we didn't know at all how I would stack up against the other kids. And because there was a race uh, for my other circuit, my coaches from, from that circuit couldn't come to, with me to Quebec. So I missed one of them. And so my mom ended up being my coach like and probably my dad was there too but my mom had (laughs) yeah and my mom that was so funny she was actually trying to coach me and I was that was hilarious um that didn't last that long though (laughs) she didn't know anything about skiing but she she arrived there and she had thought she had signed me up online like at at the time I think it was the beginning of like really using the internet and she wasn't so well versed with it and she thought she had, you know, signed me up for the race. So she came to get my bib and they couldn't find it anywhere. And in the end, they're like, you know what? Uh, this girl is, I think she's from a, another ski area. And she, this girl is uh, not here today. So you can take her bib and just race under her name for this time. We'll just do it that way because that's how they could do it. So this girl was not, you know, super fast most of the time. Or she was pretty slow. Like I started last, I think, but which was fine. I was like, okay, whatever. So I did the inspection and my mom was like, okay, I guess like here you can like talk. I was like, mom, I'm good. <laughs> like I know what to do. So I, I came down first round into first and they were like uh, impossible because this girl, they thought I was that girl, is slow. So they thought the timer wasn't right. 
So they sent me up again for a rerun. I came down again into first again. And they're like, okay, something's really wrong with this timing. And then <laughs> I remember like then at that point, like I had been going up and down a couple of times and I was like, mom, I really have to pee. And she's like, Mimi, you don't have time. You have to like hold it in just for one more run. And I was like, fine. And I just like peed in my suit. I was like, <laughs> you know what? I don't want to compete with having to pee like crazy. And I just like sent it. <laughs> <laughs> Just go, man. Just go. Dumb and dumber. Yeah. I mean, it, it was like, it was nice for a little bit because I was not so cold anymore. <laughs> and Don't then try I was this like, at home. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of funny. Just a testament to what I'll do to just be able to race. Like, it didn't matter to me. I was like, man, I, I, I really don't want to pee my suit, but like, that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> this is what I have to do to keep racing and to be the fastest of the day. So I'm going to do it. And I was going to ask you a question about motivation because I get that question a lot. And for me, it's hard to answer because even now I'm retired, I'm like still motivated to go train and still motivated. So I don't know if that's the right question to ask you because I feel like maybe you're just a motivated person that started at age 11 with you peeing in your suit. But what about confidence? Because we all for sure struggle with that. And you know, you've had moments and injuries and for sure ups and downs, but what happens when your confidence wavers? Like is, what do you do to get yourself out of that state? Yeah. Like how do I gain confidence? Yeah. Gain confidence or like self-talk or like we're self-aware enough to be like, okay, something's missing. My confidence is lacking. I'm going to get myself out. I'm going to be proactive and get myself out of it. And I've seen you do it. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, having done all the work in the background, like in the summer and in the prep is a huge way for me to like really can tune into that confidence. I am strong. I have done the training and this is like self-talk where you can be like, I could not have worked harder. I'm very um, fit right now. So I can rely on that. And then, uh, then secondly, I have put in all the work. I'm ready for this track, even though it's, it is a little scary. I have done probably scarier already this summer. I have done all the base technique and the, what we're doing in races isn't any different than what we're doing in training. So that's obviously like one of the big ones, having done the work and really relying on that. And then for me, one of the things to be able to gain confidence with interaction with coaches, because it's not like always self-confidence like for sure self-confidence is super important I'll talk more about that but um your coaches and and your teammates but your coaches are sort of like become like your parents like they become like your confidants but also like the people that you trust the most in this in this world and so for me to like receive clear simple feedback it it hugely it gives me clarity in my mind about okay this is what I'm supposed to work on And then if I do what I'm supposed to work on well and I get positive feedback on it, then it's not like I'm seeking all the time to have positive feedback, but I need to know what was I doing? Was that better? Because then it gives me clarity. Okay, this is like the direction I'm headed in instead of just having so many variants. Because you can always get feedback from a coach that can improve something. Yes, this was better, but now I'll do this. But instead of... uh, kind of just always trying to find something to to improve on just sort of like sticking with one and going at it for a while until you start to feel it as a skier because you we we're very in tune with our feelings and this is is a very like intuitive sport where you just have to, to find the flow and 
So to be able to get that was a, a huge confidence boost for me in general to work with someone that was able to provide that uh, as a coach. That's so cool. And like, you can, sorry, I'm going to interrupt, but you're, we can get to mm-hmm. self-confidence, but that's so cool too, because it's not blowing steam or just saying like, oh, Mitch, you're great. You're great. This is awesome. You're going to do awesome. Even if you're not, because you're smart and you know, skiing, you know, if you're doing well, but what you're saying, because I've had moments where I'm staying at a start and I'm like, I don't even know what to try now. Like, do I do this? Do I do this? Why was I fast that day? Because I tried eight different mm-hmm. things. You're saying like clear feedback. Was that better? Yes or no on this singular or maybe two things that I've been working on so that when you get to that race period, it's like, I know exactly what I was doing and how to reproduce mm-hmm. it and do it again and again to be fast. And that's why I can be confident because I can really believe and like narrow in my focus on those one or two things instead of, because sometimes I would do that, that it was like, okay, I worked on this and this and this, which of those things actually made me fast. And I think that that's such a cool thing to kind of zero in. Sorry. That's my, you can continue on (laughs) self-confidence. You're right. You're right. And it's not all the coaches that can understand that. Like maybe it's not all the athletes that need that clear, simple feedback. True. But I, I know I'm like that. Um, and I know that so well now, because of like having had the extremes and having had different kind of coaching. So, I mean, you know, I think we were really fortunate and like when we made the ski team, we had Jim and Tim and Jay who were very uh, in tune with that. And that's sort of like how we were brought up from, from that young age. And for me, that's, I'm not sure if it's because that's why that's how we started and how, what we're used to, that that's what we needed for the future but it, it kind of goes into all aspects of my life. Like even if I go to a dance, like a dance class, instead of like trying to get it perfect, if I tune into my intuition and kind of let it go and like be more fluid and just like think of like one thing, I'll be much better than if I'm like trying to do like the five things that they want me to work on. And maybe some people are a bit more technical. Like I would call this the, the robotic feedback. Like they like a lot of like talking and feedback and really picking the brains of the coaches. And for me, I need this just super simple and clear. And I think that it was very similar for you. Yeah. Yeah. Super similar. And I definitely don't like steam, you know, cause I, I knew when I was skiing badly, it's like, don't say I'm skiing well, if I'm skiing badly, because I know that's not the kind of confidence or feedback I'm looking for, but let's be very clear on the plan and what we're working towards and what makes me fast and what doesn't. So that when I step in the start gate, like when it matters, I know exactly mm-hmm. what the focus is on, or I know that I can not have a focus at all and just trust what's there every other day, you know, because it's not like races. I was talking to someone about this yesterday. Like training is just a perfect time to train for a race. You know, it's not that Mm -hmm. everything has to be completely different. Yeah. And and I just want to step on and, uh, and add one thing that's like different about speed because you're really thinking about the line like the line is a bit more important than in tech In tech, you got to react and just like really be technically sound in speed. Uh, it's more about the line and like finding the aerodynamic position. So you don't really have time to think about what my, ski, what are my skis doing? How am I standing on top of my skis? I mean, you think that like you do have more time because the turns are longer. So you can kind of like think about it a bit more, but in general, it's rare that I stand in the, in the Stargate and I'm really thinking about what I worked on technically in the summer. I'm more focused on like, okay, like let me ski that perfect line that I really want to do. And like, maybe let me be super aerodynamic all the way down. 
so it kind of took away this overthinking um, that sometimes Swam and GS would provide in a way. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's I don't know if it's like me or just everybody's the same, but that's just one more difference that just kind of came up now. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Because when I was talking to this person yesterday too, I was thinking how different, like Psalm, you kind of just have to let it flow. You're never going to be on the perfect line. You know, if you are, it's too robotic, no matter who you are really. But speed, mm -hmm. you often have to be on that perfect line because the stakes are way higher, even if you're not. And it's like, you stand in the start with a more tactical mindset than technical at that point. The technique, as you said, is in training. It's training those days with those other teams. It's training in the training runs. But once you step up into the start gate, you're tactical and you're trying to go as fast as you can. And that's it, mm -hmm. like period, no matter what you're doing. And obviously it videoed you look at what you did technically, but in that moment, your focus is different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's all good things. And then like now that I think a bit more about like self-confidence, because that's like really important for, for kids to hear is like, I was just coaching at a camp uh, last week and it was important like just to share with them, like how do you feel prepared? Like I, I talked about, about having laid down the work, knowing that like your equipment is well set, like you've tested it. If you need to test equipment, obviously maybe not the kids, but more like at a high level your boots, your skis, everything is like, you know what you're going to get for the season and you feel prepared because you've had that training behind you. And I've actually also relied a lot on, on Travis because Travis was, I mean, is a ski racer and was able to sort of get me out of my funk at times where if I didn't feel so confident and, you know, he had the right words. And, and so just having that, that circle of people uh, that are like your confidence boosters in yeah. your life that's yeah that's a big one I, I I was trying to think like what else for self-confidence so I think like in general just knowing you've done the work like you feel prepared you have clear simple feedback you have your people that's kind of like yeah that's the general yeah. of it yeah no I think that's great and it's a great thing to kind of say to kids and also that's what I say too is like know who that's what someone told me this year write down those people that are important in your life on a sticky note. That's the only amount of people you get that fit on a sticky note. And those are the only people that you listen to that kind of feedback from, because you can hear so many things from so many different people, even people on Instagram try to coach sometimes. Um, <laughs> but you know, you only listen to that sticky note, which Travis is obviously in the center of your sticky note. And it's kind of cool that people can be there. And there's, you know, for me, you were there for much of my career. And then I really remember in Pyeongchang because you weren't there and I had a you know, a big mistake, my first run. And I don't know, a lot of people probably don't know this. And I came third, the second run and in between runs, you know, the media doesn't see what happens. No one sees what happens. I was, you know, I had just wasted four years. I had made a huge mistake. I was seconds out. Like there's no way I could make up that time. And so it was really hard for me mentally to get back on track. And you sent me a simple message from your couch, watching an event you should have been there in. And you said, it's not over till it's over. It's not over yet. You go and ski how you wanted to the second run. And I held on to that all day and then came third in the second run. And honestly, it was thanks to you because I was stuck. I was stuck thinking about how I had messed up. And then, you know, it's one of the highlights of my career and actually it was my best Olympics. And it's from you sitting there. So I want to thank you for that. And thanks for being honest, you know, but I think that, okay, there's wow, a couple. I didn't know that. Uh, do you see how I keep talking so that you can't like, I get awkward when I 
get very vulnerable. Maybe, you know, this about me and I'm like, okay, moving on. <laughs> no, I, it's great. I, th- this is like, they gave me shivers. Like it was like, I think I, I don't remember this. Like, you know, I think we weren't seeing each other at the time cause I was hurt at home and I didn't know the impact that it had on you. Cause I, I mean, I felt this deep in my bones. I was like, I know she's pissed right now. And she's like, she's kind of given up, but there's, there's still another round. That's the beauty of tech. And it's just like, it's not over just fight. Like, you know, it's cool that like it had an impact. Cause it's not always good. You're not going to always say the right thing to someone, but sometimes we might just, and yeah. that's, that's a cool example. Thanks for sharing that. And that's a cool thing with you, I think. And that's what, you know, really you should be doing this podcast or maybe you should co-host it because you're so good at asking the tough questions of people and like really feeling empathetic and feeling for their lives and asking those questions. And sometimes it's not always the right question at the right time, but you're the one asking them, trying to make sure people are okay. So I think that that's such a beautiful thing. And I think it's kind of a segue a little bit into my next question and something we've talked about a lot because we are, we compete as individuals, but we're on a team and it's been like this our whole lives. And so where does the line come between being selfish, which a lot of people say, if you're an athlete and if you're an individual sport, you have to be selfish. You have to put yourself first. You have to X, Y, Z. But I think both of us kind of fought that mentality. You know, I didn't want to be better if it meant putting other people down in the process or totally losing who I was in the process. And so where does that line come between being selfish to take care of yourself while other people are being selfish, but also being selfless. So like you and I have had this conversation a lot, but is there, I guess, how do you balance your personal needs in that team environment? Yeah, that's a really good question. And that's like something I think that you could, that is learned over the years because you kind of come into um, usually on the national team and you haven't made your spot yet. And so you want to do what it takes to get there. And, and it's, it's good. It's like, it's a motivator and you need to earn your place in a way. Like, and I guess what I'm, how I saw it is like to be really successful. You can't just be selfless. Like that's impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you can find a balance between the two. I think, I think, I think that that's the ideal. And I like, I don't think anyone's ever going to achieve per- perfection in that. Like we're going to fluctuate between one and the other at sort of all times in the career, but selfless, you know, like how you can be selfless within the team is sh- to show compassion, to be there, to listen to someone, to create a safe space for people to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. uh, to celebrate other people's success even when that means that you had a shitty one, because mm-hmm. that's like, that's the toughest time. And that, that's being selfless. And then selfish moments where I think are important to sort of still keep in line is ask for what you want. There's, I see so many people, uh, especially women in the sport. They're so worried about coming out as like demanding and difficult. difficult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So ask for what you want. And even if the answer is no, the answer is no, but you asked and you, you can convey, you communicated what you, what you want. And I think that is, it is a balance for that too. You can't constantly ask, but you can, if you can find someone that's really good at communicating, you can kind of have this back and forth and ask whatever comes to your mind. Like I remember with Jim and Tim, it, 
it was really like that. Like you can kind of tell or ask anything. And sometimes they'd be like, nah, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> yeah. what you're asking. No chance. And then, and then you would we'd laugh about it. Um, but then obviously it's not like that with all the coaches over the years that definitely put me in some, some like trickier waters, I guess, with some of the coaches where instead of like understanding that I was just asking just because of asking, that's how we were taught. Sometimes they saw it as difficult and demanding. And especially when I would talk for others, because I know it's not my place to constantly speak to, to constantly like speak for everybody. Uh, but sometimes I saw that it was really affecting the team. And like, that's when I really tried to come forward. But when you're the one that's constantly bringing forward yeah. and asking, then you start to get a bit of this reputation. And so that is, that is a little tricky in that way. But I still recommend that you ask for what you want because you'd only have one career. And yeah, I, it's really like that's selfish moments that can still in a way be selfless if you find the right people that you talk to and they, you can like be told, no, I don't mind being telling no, but I just want to say what I want. And I just like want to be able to like put it out there because I want, you know, to win and, and how, like, it's not like I have it right every time. If I ask my coach, Oh, do you think we should like train and do this and that? And then, then we like communicate and they share their knowledge, which is like, we respect them so much. Uh, they can really tone you down. Like, can be like, really make sure you have the right plan because you're not always going to come up with the right plan yourself. Yeah, no, um, I totally agree. I totally. Yeah. And sometimes you can be emotional, and you're asking it out of emotion because you're freaking out, and the coach has to kind of say no, but also understand the reason you're asking is not out of a demand. It's like, hey, I'm I'm in a spot where I'm you know freaking out, or as you said, being accountable on both sides, you know, you can be accountable Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I shouldn't have asked that question. I'm really sorry. Or the coach can say, Hey, that's a great idea. Like, thanks for bringing it up later. Yeah. And, and it it is true. You've been a leader on the team for so long. You've been the athlete rep. You've been, you know, the oldest on the team. You've been on the mom on the team that when you bring things forward, not actually a mom, everybody. (laughs) No, sorry. Let me clarify. She's the mom of our team. (laughs) Mama Mm -hmm. Mitch. (laughs) Um, that it, it can come back that you're the one bringing it forward and come back at you, even if it wasn't affecting you. And I I've seen that happen. And can you name a time that you think that you were really, I can think of a time for you. It was a huge time actually, but can you name a time in your career when you were, think that you were totally selfless, that like you put the team before everything else? I guess actually like the one thing that comes up for me, and it's, I don't know if it's the same for you, but some years back, I'm not going to name names, but we had a coach yeah, who this was is kind of difficult. Too. Yeah, he was quite quite difficult, and the, just like the team atmosphere wasn't very good, uh, but I thought he was a very good coach, like on hill, really good eye, and I, I had some issues at the beginning, and then I kind of just stood up for myself and just like all of a sudden earned that respect from that coach and started to really ski fast and consistently and had a really good end of season. I had two podiums back to back, uh, different disciplines, like top fives, every race. Like it was just like, it was good results. So I guess in that way, like when you start to really have good results, you normally would, you know, push to keep that coach around because you're, it's working out well, but I could see that it was killing our team and, the atmosphere wasn't that 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 good, and I think over I know over time it would have really 
uh, been difficult for, for everybody and it was difficult already for, for most people. So in that way, like I really pushed to side with the team more than with like my own results, I guess, in that situation. Yeah, you had such a good year, so many good results. But yeah, I, I think back on that. I, honestly, I got like a little teary-eyed hearing you say that because that's a huge thing to do for a team when you're in an individual sport and you're having these amazing year, back-to-back podiums, top fives all the time, consistency, and to come forward and have an opinion for the team, knowing that other people are struggling or, and I think you're right. I think that it would have, some had it harder than others that year, but I think that it affected our team anyways in the future, but I think that it would have been really bad if it went on for longer. And that same year, I remember the podium you had in Crans, Montana, I was racing also. And I think I was ninth after the first run or something. And then I didn't finish near Mm -hmm. the bottom and you podium. And I'm like, we have to do a team photo. And like, meanwhile, I'm like bawling in my goggles. I like ruined my lenses. What lenses Mm -hmm. don't wash. And (laughs) I went into team hospitality, which is like where we are allowed to go inside and change. And sometimes they have alcohol in there for the coaches. And I was like, do you have wine? Do you have champagne? But I'm like bawling my eyes out because I'm like unhappy because I have my result, but I'm like so happy for you. And I'm like, we have to celebrate. We have to share wine. And I'm sure everyone was like, what is this girl doing? Like so emotional looking for alcohol everywhere. Um, but I remember we had a really beautiful night that night celebrating, like maybe not the perfect celebration, but it was like a really like nice kit. Yeah. Twister, nice dinner. So that was a really nice night. And that was really selfless of you to do. And I know how hard it is. Like when you've had the tough race to just be like, okay, like let me put my effort into celebrating because it's just like, you know, it eats at you a little bit. Um, But, but that's, you know, you've done that many times in your career. So that's, that's, that is one. And I haven't done that. I also haven't done that. Like when Britt Phelan made the Olympics, I remember we were, I had a horrible race and I had horrible race after horrible race and my back pain. And it just felt like I was in this hole and I like, wasn't able to get myself into the headspace tears or not to get there. And so it's like, as you said, like we sometimes we're selfish, sometimes we're selfless. Like we don't always get it right. And I didn't always get it right. And I wish I did, but I didn't always get it right. And maybe not getting it right taught me for the future though, that, you know, no matter if there's tears running down my face that like, this is, you know, now it's time to celebrate someone else. That's now it's time to be a good teammate, I guess. But um, what lessons we're getting out of this, like life lessons, you know, Um, before you you switch topic, I know you're probably eager to switch topic, but I guess like one thing that um, I guess like almost like rules of like things that, like why you want to find a balance between selfless and selfish is you got to make sure that whatever you do, it it works well within the team, that it keeps the wheel turning. So, you know, if you think of each spoke or like a little piece of pie, it has, like, if you take away one of those things because of selfish reasons and the wheel doesn't spin anymore, then it's, then it's like, it's the wrong way to be selfish, I guess. Yeah, that's true. That's one way to see it. That's Um, totally true. Like, so I just want to share this example and this you're probably going to agree with me is that I think you can see top skiers sometimes with, with their parents are involved or they have like someone, their husbands or their parents or someone close to them that's involved and they end up, the parents does the dirty laundry for them. Like they will do the selfish 
acts for them so that they they don't have to worry about that because it is gruesome to pick to be selfish sometimes in some situations where it's going to affect other people. And I think a lot of people, they think, oh, well, this person's not selfish because they don't, you know, ask for things themselves or they don't, whatever it is that makes someone selfish uh, is like their parents or like their, their person will do it for them. So I don't know. I was just like kind of reflecting upon that and how some of the top skiers, they have almost like bodyguards for them. <laughs> and we've talked about it before that if an issue arises, sometimes we would just swallow it because we know we can handle it. Even if it's not the best for us, we can handle it just to try to avoid the confrontation selfishly because confrontation is exhausting, but also selflessly a little bit because like we're trying to keep the peace or we're trying not to make someone else upset, or we're trying to make sure that, you know, we're not being selfish or something. And I know we've talked about it, but I struggled with that too, that it's like, you know, at what point do you have to stand up for yourself because it's necessary and that's what life is. And it's, you have one, this one career, but then sometimes I would shy away from it just because I was like, I don't have the mental capacity right now to get into an argument with this person. So I'm just going to let it slide because I'm going to keep the peace and I don't want to take the energy that I could put into something that would be, you know, energy giving instead of draining, which Mm -hmm. is sometimes hard because you're like, if you see a behavior happening again and again, you're like, I should have dressed this a while ago, but it's like so exhausting sometimes to be in the, you know, to have that confrontation, especially like you and I have Mm -hmm. had confrontations before and it's like, Hey, you're not pulling your weight or Hey, you're doing this or like, this isn't the Mm -hmm. best. And I think we come out stronger, but that's, I think what this huge accountability between us is too, that it's not like we're just friends and competitors and teammates because it's like been easy. And we were what we call boyfriends on the road. It's like, we also held each other accountable and feel comfortable enough that it's not energy draining to be maybe a little, but to be like, Hey, like this isn't the right way to act or something. And between us, I think we could do that. But then sometimes I know I would struggle outside of those like super close relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. That's, that's, uh, I think you're, you're hitting the, the nail with the hammer. I don't know what the, the exact, the exact way to say it. That's one. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> the better. nail on the head. Yeah. The that's nail, that's the, the one. Okay. One thing I want to ask about, and maybe I don't know the right way to ask it. So I'm just going to say it because I remember, I think it was you, Shemi, Britt, Janik and I, but I could be wrong that we were talking about maybe not bullying necessarily, but not fitting in as young female skiers. And for me also, it's like, it was at school. I didn't fit in first and I changed schools and then I fit in, in school. But then all of a sudden when I started getting fast and skiing, I don't know if it's because I, I didn't have a cool style. I had no idea what anything was in style or fashion. Mm-hmm. I was, maybe it was, I was fast. Maybe it's because I wasn't like super cool. Like I was definitely doing homework back of cars or not partying or something, but I, I just didn't fit in and I struggled and I'd come home crying super often. And I hated going on trips because I had these best friends at school and I didn't feel like I had a place in skiing, but it was just, I remember talking to you guys and being like, how is this so relevant for all of us? How did we all feel this way? And Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just, it kind of breaks my heart that I just stayed in because I love to ski, but what if girls are quitting because 
it's too they much. They want to fit in. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. The, not mm-hmm. bullying, but it's too much. And now it's crazy. Sorry. Now it's crazy because, you know, some girls that I went to school with in grade school are like, Hey, watch my friend Aaron at the Olympics. And those are girls that like, didn't invite me to their birthday parties. And I was the only one in the class not invited. And so it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know how to stop it from happening, but maybe if we just normalize it a little. Yeah. It's crazy how teenagers, I mean, you're starting to like trying to understand your identity at that age and everyone's kind of put into boxes, you know? And like, uh, if you're someone that stands out in a way that's like, you know, with success or performance, especially in the sports side, but it's, it's pretty common that in, especially in girls, I don't know if it's the same with boys, but like girls will try to bring you down because they feel bad about themselves for not achieving that same level. So, I mean, I came into the, the regional team and it's not like I had bullying, like, you know, verbally or physical or anything like that, but it's still a form of, it's still sort of a form of not feeling like you fit in. Uh, I, the, I mean, I was pretty, I was very tomboyish at that point. Like I didn't shave my legs. I think I, I was like, my mom didn't teach me how to do that. Those girls were wearing like real sports bras. Uh, so real bras instead of sports bras for workouts. Like when we go running and <laughs> that's a super, super silly example, but it's, just no, like, but it's a good like, one. Yeah. It was just sort of the vibe there. It was like very girly girls and like pretty, you know, like it was all about being pretty and like be like being the guy's attention and I remember there's moments where I just felt like I had to dialed, dial my personality down to fit in and just like kind of just kind of go on, like just just be less, you know, intense and be less. But then obviously behind closed doors, I would train and I would do my thing and like be intense. My coach actually at the time was a, a woman, Marie Couture, and she really saw that dynamic and she understood that. And because she's a woman, she really always, uh, didn't really let that happen. She really picked up on that stuff and she made sure um, that it was always correctly done in a way. Wow. Um, that's, imp- that's amazing that she did that. Yeah. I, like I, there's, there's things that like I talked to my parents or like my host family, cause I was living with, with the two other, like another family. They told me some of the stuff, like the, this meeting that went around uh, at one point, they wanted to have like a, sort of like a team leader that but that would enforce rules uh to make sure like because the boys were doing like silly things and like they're like oh like Mitch is like super focused and like she could keep people in line and I remember my my I could not a mom-in-law but like my foster mom uh stood stood up at a meeting and she's like no way are you going to name her to do this she's going to get so much hate from this like she's already um getting a difficult situation because she's the best and I was like beating boys at times, like most of the boys too. So sometimes the boys would pick on me. So that would have really killed, killed me. Like, and it would have really made it a lot harder. So she, I was like so proud that she stood up and she, she knew the situation from a few of the, the things that I shared with her and my parents. And like, that was, I was so happy that uh, they kind of understood that. And like, in some ways, I kind of liked that I had, freedom in a way like because I was different because I was faster and better at skiing uh if I went up the chair by myself and instead of doing like the little like silly things to warm up their hands like the girls are doing which is fine when you're cold and like I was just like I'm going up the chair by myself and I was thinking about my run and I was being the intense Mitch that I am 
and I loved it. And yeah. but so yeah, it was like difficult for some years though because I really felt like I had to not be myself to be liked and to, or to, just to like get by. And once I got on the Quebec team, which was a couple of years later, uh, then I like started to like have girls that were all motivated and successful and they really wanted it. So then I really felt like I could be myself. And that was like a huge change, like in my, in my, the, in the vibe and like the environment was just so healthy compared. Yeah. 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 Sometimes I think, you know, what happens if you didn't have that experience, you know, what would you maybe not have been as good because you didn't have those moments of like thinking about your run or could it have been totally the opposite that you, you know, could have, you could be good no matter what, but what if you were put in this enforcer role as well? And maybe Mm. you were bullied so much that you quit the sport. I just sometimes wonder like, what if this situation was different? Like what if someone didn't stand up for you or what if, um, Mm. it was totally, what if you had a different mentality for it? You know, you just tried to join in the hand clapping games or change. I, I understand it's not really changing who you are for me, at least it was more like hiding who I was to try to make sure that I don't know, there was less of a chance to get bullied because if you talk less, people see mm-hmm. less weird things come out, you know? Okay. I'm going to ask mm-hmm. maybe two questions to end this off. The one is, is there a time that you were brave and no one knew it? You were like, wow, Mitch, like that was brave. Maybe I know it too, but no one else knew it. Like it was, you didn't speak about it. You just did it and you were brave. <sighs> I mean, I'm trying to think because like normally if I'm if I'm brave and I don't have to tell everyone, but I'll tell Travis, you know, I'm trying to think of like someone that I like kept for myself completely. That's a tough one because normally, you know, you're kind of proud of that. Like you're like, yeah, and then you tell someone what I did today. Okay. What about a few people know? Travis and I know. (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess like, I mean, it goes back to like that, that one coach. And like kind of deciding to go to vouch for the team. And though it's just like a selfless act, but it's also brave because you're like, well, like it's working out, but like, let's see what's, what's coming next. Is it going to work out the same? Um, so that like, and like, I didn't really talk about that very no, you much. Didn't. And yeah. So I, I think that's like one of the, the main ones, like the same example, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great you? example. Do you have one? Ooh, I should have it. It's like not fair to me to have these questions ready or for you and then not answer them myself. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm trying not to go back to my back pain. That's why I'm, I'm coming back to this. Um, I think before, I think, you know, this, but I hurt my knee in 2015. Um, and I couldn't, I, it kept collapsing when I stood up and I couldn't walk on it. I couldn't straighten it. And it was diagnosed as nothing super serious, but it was a lot of pain, but Flacco was coming. I don't know if you remember. And so I couldn't train. I mm-hmm. came up one day to try to train and it was too painful. And we tried again. I think it happened about four days before the race. And we tried again the day before the race and it was okay. And I think in the next race that came, I came maybe 10th or 12th. And I was so proud of myself because to do that with no mm-hmm. training coming in, the pain that I was in, not really trusting my knee, you know, I, even after that, I had to rehab it all summer. I've, I still have pain from it that, mm-hmm. um, I never told anyone that either. You know, sometimes that's a crazy thing. Sometimes people look at our results and they're like, oh, 12th place could have been better. And they don't see what happens behind it. And that's, I guess, what I want to tell the story. Like you had this amazing season and, you know, people could look at a season after and be like, oh, what happened? But it's like, 
you know, you stood up for your team. You were completely selfish, selfless. You were completely brave. And no one sees sometimes what's behind the results, good or bad. You know, sometimes like a third place is not only like for you podiuming in Super G, it wasn't just stepping on the podium after an injury and how many years and doing the switch. It was like way, way bigger than that. And Mm -hmm. I think people, you know, can be so harsh. I mean, even at this Olympics, you were in downhill, you were the top North American. I don't know if you know that, but you were the top North American. And for sure, people say things about races and it's like, this person didn't podium. It's like, yeah, but to see what they've been through for behind the scenes and Mm -hmm. became the top North American, it's like, I don't know. That's why I'm like, I just want to tell everyone's story so that people see what, what happens behind the scenes, good or bad. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. the best results that have happened in a career, it's like, yeah, I came 24th, but you know, I, Mm -hmm. this, my skis went missing and then this person did this. And then I hurt my knee and then, you know, or Cassidy gray crashing before almost every world cup and Mm -hmm. goes on and gets points. And so it's kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of, but that's a perfect answer. There, but there's so many examples now that you say that. Like, I'm just going to say one quick. In yeah. Zagreb, I was, uh, Travis was visiting and I was giving him a tour of Zagreb. And I like, I was looking up at the opera house and I was like, wow, that's the opera house. And I stepped off the the walking, my, what do you call it? The, the curb. Trottoir, the yeah. curb. <laughs> and I rolled my ankle and I just like screamed murder because I, I thought I broke my foot. And then I just like walked it off and then it just like swelled and swelled and swelled. And I had like a race in two days and I was like, Oh God, like, is this even going to happen? And I didn't ski until the race. And I just like on race day, I shoved it down and my, like, I mean, we iced it and then elevated it and like the physios were helping so much. Uh, And I think I came like seventh or something. Yeah. You were really good. Yeah. And like Zagreb was always a good place, but at like, in face of adversity, I was like, wow, that's really impressive to have pulled through even with all this. And like, I mean, with the team, like the last two years, uh, there's been a lot of stuff going around with trying to cut down the speed program. And I just like, I really tried to not take it personally and just see it more as like a business transaction and just like, like prove them my worth instead of just like begging. And just like, I came with graphs and like, ideas and like ways to to find money and it was just yeah it it taught me a lot there's like I haven't I haven't spoken about that that much uh what was going on like two years ago like when they were going to cut the team um but yeah there's there's lots and lots of examples like that for for all of us yeah even at the olympics I was part of it I'm sorry but we were doing dry land and we were attached by a band and we were supposed to run and touch a ball but the band like the physio fell and he fell on top of Mitch's ankle again. And mm-hmm. we were in a band. So like I was running the opposite way and everyone fell. But I remember that that was the night before. Was it your downhill too? And we weren't sure. Yeah. Like if your ankle like was one, okay. one and a half day. Yeah. One and a half day. Before At the Olympics. Yeah. I, was I should have said no. Sorry. Felt, I was involved. Yeah. I mean, it happens. Like the, I kind of knew it was a bad idea, but like, you know, I, I also signed up for it because I was like, that's going to be fun. <laughs> Yeah. Um, we're like we get to be together <laughs> yeah yeah, well, yeah i know i was so excited to have teammates all of a sudden yeah, i know uh, but yeah i thought my foot was broken but in the end that actually like solved itself really easily but like, it was a little bit of like stress for a minute or like yeah. a night yeah yeah always yeah, yeah. okay last question i'm not a morning person 
I don't talk to people in the morning. I'd rather like keep my hood up and like, I start eating breakfast in my room alone sometimes. Cause it's like too much stimulus. Mitch, you're very much a morning person. You wake up, up out of bed, you like open the curtains, but like, what's your first thought in the morning? Cause like, I know mine, but what's your first thought in the morning? Let's go skiing <laughs> every morning. You're like, let's work out to go skiing. Is that like every morning? It's like, that's why it's so funny because like when I was telling Travis this story and he's like, really? Like, you're like, I'm really not a morning person at home because I'm like, I can sleep in and I have time to fit in my workouts for the day. But like with the camps there, we have to be there at, you know, seven at the chair. I'm like, let's go. Let's get the day rolling. I get really excited. But like when I'm here now, like I have a very different routine. Like I'm, I like wake up. I don't look at my phone. I go to meditate first thing in the morning. Like I do open the blinds because anyways, like that's like something I like to do, but uh, I'm, I'm much more, I guess I, I have changed in, in that way. But I, but when I'm at ski camp, I do have that crazy, like, let's get going. And I don't, that really got me in a lot of trouble with some of the girls. because I was like up and ready and talking all morning, like talking excitement and the, like there's a couple people that like they feed off of that. Like I, I was in the room with Federica uh, Brignone a couple times and I was like, she's the same. Oh my God. I'm not alone in this world. Uh, but I understand that it was, uh, it was difficult sometimes for, and I remember MP probably the most. <laughs> like in the end, I know you were like, Mitch, can you just like ask me if I'm ready to open to like for the lights and stuff? <laughs> you like, like oh, okay. are you ready for the lights? I'm like, Yes, I'm ready now. And then we, and then we could start our day. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know. Maybe it'll change now. Today I was like, let's go oh, take yeah. the tape off the bus. But okay. Well, yeah. no matter what, it's been so good to connect and kind of have this like pillow talk. Maybe we can do it again. And we'll just call it like pillow talk with Mitch and Aaron. Cause that's like, we've roomed together all the time. And it's like the conversations you have when you feel less vulnerable because the lights aren't on, but I've enjoyed it. And mm-hmm. honestly, it's like, I knew it would be good but I was nervous and excited but nervous but it mm-hmm. was like more beautiful than I could have ever imagined so thank you and also thank you for being one of those people on my sticky notes and for being there with me through like the good the bad for sure the ugly a lot of tears but um I like really I wouldn't be who I am like skiing or otherwise and I think the reason I'm such a motivated person is like because of you and you know now That's it's just I part say. of who I am <laughs> Really? I say no. that about you. I'm like the reason why I'm so motivated and so intense, and like it's like a lot to do with like Aaron. Sorry, <laughs> that's so funny. That was for that each other. <laughs> I feel sorry for the people that are like, oh my gosh, just stop like doing all this runs and all this working out. Just stop. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I but. mean, I think like it's beautiful um, as like you are now transitioning into your next career into your uh, your after ski racing life. I've really found that like some of the girls that I was on the team with that have moved on now, they've become even closer friends because like, it, it's like you see each other's like worst side on the road that you see that, yes. the, especially when you're trying to like achieve something and it doesn't work out, you see people's worst side. And if you can come out of that as friends, then that's like a really powerful and, and, and long lasting friendship. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm excited to see where that takes us. And I'm, I'm hoping that you can uh, continue to be part of my sticky notes for the upcoming season. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there. That's how we're going to stand on the podium together or something. Maybe I'll see you in South Bend. 
maybe this episode comes out after Saturday. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, thank you, Mitch. Yeah. Love yeah. you. Loved being your teammate. And um, cheers to the yeah. future, the next chapter. Thank you for listening to Unspoken Bravery. My goal with this podcast is to connect with you through real life experiences. So I would love to hear from you. A hello, feedback, future ideas, you name it. You can reach me on my Instagram account at Aaron Milzinski or head to my website, aaronmilzinski.com. If you like the podcast, please share, review and subscribe. I hope to see you back here to uncover your own hidden superhero.